And let's uh, move into our text for today. We are in John chapter 10. Another one of the I am statements is found in this passage, and it has to deal with the imagery of shepherding. And that's was our theme throughout worship, as you could tell. And I'm grateful to David for putting those songs together the way that he did. We're going to work through the text today. But before we get there, I just want to remind you of what's going on in the life of Jesus right now to make sense out of what's about to transpire in this chapter. If you remember back in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And he does that on the Sabbath. And this, again, brings him into direct conflict with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the self-appointed religious authorities. They were the gatekeepers, if you will, of all of Jewish religious life at the time. And so they were in opposition to what Jesus was doing, what he was teaching, and they were very threatened by his teaching, by his ministry. And so just to remind you of a couple things that we find here that illustrate so clearly what they thought about Jesus. Number one is back in chapter 9 in verse 22 as they're talking to the man's parents, the man that was healed. It says his parents said this, they kind of defer an answer to their son because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And we talked about what a disastrous consequence that would have been for them at that time. The second thing I'll remind you of is this in verse 24, as they summon this man who is healed to them again to give an answer for what had happened to him, they just concisely summarize their opinion of Jesus with just this. We know that this man is a sinner. So that's what the Pharisees thought about Jesus. There was this direct and continuous conflict, and we see it building up throughout his ministry so far. And then that chapter wraps up with them kind of having this light bulb moment, realizing that maybe he's being critical of them. And this is what they say. So some Pharisees who were, who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And the reason I remind you of that is because as we move into chapter 10 now, there's a break there in our Bibles for the chapter, but remember, John didn't write in those chapter breaks. This is just a continuation of the same conversation that he's having with the same group of people. And so I'm reading from the NIV here. That's what's on your screens. What I want to show you is an interpretive choice that the NIV translators made here. So in order to help us through that transition, they say this. They have Jesus saying, very truly I tell you, now, all the other modern translations just say that. Very truly, I tell you, and leave it to the reader to understand who the audience is. But the NIV includes the word Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. And I just want you to know that the word Pharisees does not occur in the text. That's the interpreters of the translators of the NIV, including that, so that we don't forget this is a continuation of a conversation that started with the Pharisees back in chapter 9. Jesus is indeed addressing the Pharisees here, but I just want to point out that the NIV includes that, even though it's not in the text, for our benefit as readers. So this is what Jesus says, very, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate. So imagine uh, a first century uh, house in that part of the world, and next door is this gated in area where the family kept their sheep. This is one of, you know, a valuable possession, and people took care of them. And so he's using this imagery to get them to think about something. 
says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, the proper way to enter in, but climbs in by some other way, that person obviously is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. A couple things I want to point out to you here. Number one, the idea that he includes the gatekeeper in this story. And the Pharisees, like I said, were a gatekeeper of sorts. Right? The people weren't allowed to believe in Jesus because they had not approved of his ministry yet. They were self-appointed gatekeepers. But the role of the gatekeeper, if they want to serve that function, is to do what? Is to let the shepherd get to the sheep. And yet, that's the opposite of what they were doing. They weren't opening the sheep gate so that the shepherd could get to the sheep. They were keeping it barricaded. They were the ones in charge, and the shepherd is not allowed to get to his sheep because they were telling people, Jesus is a sinner, and if you acknowledge him as Messiah, we will put you out of the synagogue. They're failing at the role that they thought they were occupying. The second thing I want to point out here is this idea of the shepherd calling his sheep by name. And we want to think a little bit more about that. The idea of listening to the voice of our shepherd. If you think about the situation the Jewish people were in at that time, they weren't satisfied with their economic situation. They weren't satisfied with their political situation, and they certainly weren't satisfied with the way that religious life was unfolding around them. These questions to consider as you put yourself in the shoes of these Israelites, whose voice is worth listening to? Who do we listen to? Of all these self-appointed religious leaders, who do we listen to? Do we listen to the Pharisees? Do we listen to the scribes? Do we listen to the priests? Which rabbi should we align ourselves with? Whose voice is worth listening to? Who can we trust with spiritual matters? Who can we really turn to in full trust, knowing that they won't lead us astray? Who has our best interests in mind? It's not just enough to say, well, this person is in a position of authority, but are they going to use that authority to our benefit or to their own? Who has our best interests in mind? Who should we really follow here? And the question they're asking is, who's going to be their shepherd? And so Jesus is using this as an opportunity to get these crowds to think about the difference between himself and the Pharisees. You've got two options here. You can follow the lead of the Pharisees, or you can listen to what I'm telling you. Now, to listen to Jesus is to put them in direct opposition to the Pharisees. And Jesus understands what he's asking from them, but he's using this whole illustration as a way to get people to think critically about whose voice they were really listening to. Who is the shepherd, and will we listen to him? He goes on in John chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. He says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And I love that John throws that in there because it's just illustrating exactly the point Jesus was trying to make. If you belong to the sheepfold, if you are part of the flock that belongs to the shepherd, you 
automatically know who the shepherd is because you recognize him by his what? His voice. Means even if he comes in at night and you can't see who it is, you know who he is just based on his voice. If you are one of his sheep. And the Pharisees here, of course, they don't know what he's saying because they can't hear his voice. They're just illustrating the very thing that he's being critical of. I would like for you then to think about the same set of questions we just asked concerning what the Israelites in that time would have been thinking, but apply it to us today. And allow yourself to, in humility, be a little bit self-critical right now. I want you to think about these questions. How many voices in the world right now are fighting for your attention? An infinite number. You think about the voices out there fighting for your attention. Voices on TV, voices in social media, voices in print, voices like me standing up behind pulpits, right? Everybody's got a voice and everybody wants you to listen to their voice. And all of these voices are coming at you at once. And you have to be able to sort out which of these voices am I going to listen to? Who do you follow? In your life, who do you follow? I hope the immediate answer is I follow Jesus Christ. But let's be honest for a minute. Who else do you follow? If I were to look at your social media profiles, who do you follow? Who do you follow on Instagram? Who do you follow on Twitter? Who do you follow on Facebook? Who do you follow on YouTube? Who are the people who have you, would have, you have decided their voice is so valuable that I need to be notified every time they speak so that I can be sure to pay attention to what they're saying? Because that's what we're doing when we follow people, right? We're giving a vote in favor of the value of their voice. This person's voice is valuable to me. I don't want to miss a thing that they say. And so who do you follow? Political pundits, religious leaders, People who just provoke thought in the modern world. Social media influencers, right? What are they influencing you to do, by the way? Buy a product, right? Most of the voices we hear when it comes down to it are just shills for marketing, right? They're trying to sell you something, and we gobble it up, don't we? Who do you follow? Who has become your, and I put this in quotations on purpose, who has become your trustworthy source in this world? And the reason I use that phrase is because that's exactly the phrase people use who want you to tune out everyone else and pay attention only to them. When you look at mainstream news outlets today, they've all done the same thing. They've taken outsized personalities, they've given them a spot, and they're constantly telling you, you can't listen to the other guys, you got to listen to me because I am, what? The trustworthy source. I'm the only one who cares enough to tell you the truth. And I have watched people, God's people, give themselves over fully to voices like this to where their entire view of the world is shaped by the voices that are taking up space in their heads. Whose voice is in your head? Who have you allowed to occupy this space? Who are you giving floor space to rent-free, in that noggin of yours. Whose voice is up there? That when you read the news, this voice is telling you what to think about it. When you read scripture, this voice is telling you how to understand it. When you make decisions on a daily basis, this voice is in there, shaping the way that you 
think and act and engage with other people around you? Whose voice is it that occupies that space? For those who belong to the shepherd, it should be only one voice. His voice. The shepherd's voice. And we should be so clearly attuned to the sound of his voice that we instantly recognize anyone who's fraudulent. Anyone who's pretending to be something they're not. We recognize it instantly because it's not the voice of the shepherd. And yet I'm afraid in today's world that we're so inundated with this plethora of voices all fighting for our attention that we've given them too much of this space in this space that we can't hear the voice of the shepherd clearly anymore because there's this cacophony of voices sounding off in our heads at any given time drowning out the only voice we really should be paying attention to and I would encourage you to think critically about that as we move through this text Jesus goes on in verse 7 he says very truly I tell you I am the gate for the sheep all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, and they will go out, and they will find pasture. They will find what they're looking for. And then this is what he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. If you want to know who the, sh the true shepherd is, and you want to know who the imposters are, just look only at their intentions. What do the imposters do? They're not in it for the sheep. They're in it for themselves. The shepherd is truly there for the sake of the sheep. And everything he does is to provide for the sheep. And so the way he contrasts this is the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, he says, that they might have what? Life. And have it the NIV says to the full. Other translations say, I came to give life that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I love that word, abundantly. We talked about it weeks ago in a previous text, but I want you to think for just a minute about this theme of abundance in John's Gospel. That Jesus didn't come just to give us something. He came to give us things in abundance. Remember the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2 where he turns the water into wine. He doesn't just turn water into wine. He turns 120 gallons of water into wine. It's an abundance of what they need. In John chapter 6, when he feeds the crowds, he doesn't give them just enough so they're no longer hungry. He gives them so much that they eat to their full and what's left over? Twelve baskets of food. It's abundance over and over and over. All the abundant healing that we find in John's Gospel. You can't walk. He restores your ability to walk to its fullest. You can't see. He restores your sight to its fullest. We're going to see in the next chapter how even those who have lost life, Jesus can restore even life itself. What does the shepherd really do? And what differentiates the real shepherd from the imposters? It's all about intention. It's all about desire. The real shepherd comes for one reason to give life and to give it abundantly. And how many people in this world have never known abundant life? And I'm not talking about the way we typically think about abundance in only physical terms. I'm talking about joy in living. Most people never know it because they never know abundance because they've never followed the shepherd into the pasture that he would have them go to.
And so we're always wanting. We're always feeling this pressing lack of whatever it is we think we need. Because we've never found what we're looking for because no one else can give it to us except the shepherd. And we don't follow him because our heads are so full of everyone else's voice. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. Follow him where he will lead you and you will find yourself living in abundance. And I promise, I promise he has what you're looking for. In verses 11 through 13, he goes on and he says, and here again, one of the famous I am statements, I am the good shepherd. Well, what makes him the good shepherd? Replace that word good with model. I am the model shepherd. I am showing you what a shepherd should always be. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we've seen a contrast between the true shepherd and impostors, the thieves. But now we're going to see the difference between the true shepherd and hired hands. It says the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. Okay, so you've got a shepherd and he's got this big flock. And so he's going to outsource the care of the flock. So he's going to hire somebody. How much do you have to pay a hired hand to get them to love the sheep the way the shepherd does? And the answer is, you can't do it. No matter how well you're paying them, they're always only going to be a hired hand. They're never going to love the flock the way the shepherd loves the flock. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Be honest, okay? You're looking for a job tomorrow, and you find an ad in the paper that says, Shepherd Wanted, and for some reason you decide, you know what, I'd be good at being a shepherd, right? And you call the number, and the guy offers you more money than you've ever imagined before, just to watch over some sheep. you got the cushiest job ever. Just got to watch, watch over these sheep, make sure none of them run away, right? Except one night, a wolf comes in, and you're thinking, I did not sign up for this part of the job. I am not equipped for dealing with wolves. And so you're thinking about your paycheck, you're thinking about the sheep, and then you're thinking about what? Preserving your own life. And I don't care how much you're getting paid, your reaction is going to be what? You're going to run. You're going to save yourself, because at the end of the day, I'm me, and they're just a bunch of sheep. That's the problem with hired hands. But for the shepherd, nothing matters more than the life of the sheep. And you think about this illustration. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, because the good shepherd does what for the sheep? Lays down his life for the sheep. That when the wolf comes, he stands between the wolf and the sheep at great cost to himself. Who would love sheep so much that they would die for them? You think about the love our Savior has for us. How do we know how much he loves us? Because he proved it. He proved it. He put a price on our lives. We have been bought with a price. And what was that price? The life of the incarnate word. The son of God himself took on flesh and shed his own blood in order to save us from the wolf. And he proves to us in that way how much he loves us. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. That's what the hired hand does. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away, 
because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This whole sheep imagery, this shepherd and sheep imagery is consistent throughout Scripture. And there are some truly beautiful passages. We read one of them together, didn't we? The 23rd Psalm. It's a well-known and beautiful passage about the relationship we have with our God. We the sheep and he the shepherd. But there's another passage maybe you're not all that familiar with. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want to invite you to turn over there with me this morning. It's kind of a long passage and I want to read it to you. I wouldn't normally read this much. I just point you there and say, you should check this out. But I think it's essential in this lesson that we read this together. Because this really is the backdrop for everything Jesus is saying in this chapter. So Ezekiel chapter 34, and I invite you to follow along. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against, listen to this, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves should not shepherds take care of the flock you eat the curds you clothe yourselves with the wool you slaughter the choice animals but you do not take care of the flock you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured you have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost you have ruled them harshly and brutally so they were scattered because there was no shepherd And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves, rather than for my flock, because that's what hired hands do, right? Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search For my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Then they will lie down in good grazing land, and there there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then he goes on, skip over to verse 25. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. I will make them, uh, them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. 
The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crop and the people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. And what a message to a group of people who were about to be scattered, a group of people who had suffered at the hands of terrible leadership, both spiritual and physical, that had led them into the situation they were in now, and this people thinking, who will save us from this situation we're in? And God steps in and says, I recognize that you are where you are, my flock, because your shepherds have been corrupt from top to bottom. And so the solution to that is not to find better shepherds, but for me to step in and for me to be your shepherd, my flock. And with that as a background, Jesus is using all that as a way to get the people to think critically about the terrible leadership that they had been suffering on at this point in their history. Jesus is, make no doubt about it, taking aim at the Pharisees, here in all of Israel's leadership in place at this point in time. But also, he's taking aim at any form of human leadership that seeks its own over the welfare of those in their care. And in a way, that's a summary of every human institution. The Bible's got this message that's beautiful if you're willing to hear it. That every form of corrupt human institution is really just another form of Babylon. And when you read the book of Revelation, it's clear what the fate of Babylon is. Babylon will be destroyed. And in its place, God will bring down from heaven to earth a new Jerusalem. It's a beautiful message, full of hope, but it requires us to lean fully into our trust in our shepherd. What baffles me so much is how so many of us who claim to belong to the flock spend so much time obsessing over a better version of Babylon instead of just longing for the new Jerusalem. We've convinced ourselves that if we could just get better leadership, and I'm talking about in any institution, in any form, in any capacity, in any aspect of life, if we can just put the right people on the right pedestals, all will be well again. Instead of acknowledging that what we really need is our shepherd. What we really, truly need is our shepherd. And if we could just listen for his voice, how much better off would we be? How much greener are those pastures that he wants so desperately to lead us into? I am the good shepherd, Jesus goes on. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus' flock. This is aimed at the Israelites. But what is he hinting at here? 
That the, the scope of God's flock is going to expand beyond what they could ever imagine. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Statements like that hurt my heart deeply. They fill me with hope, but they hurt me because I, I look at the landscape of modern Christianity, and it does not look like one flock following one shepherd, does it? And yet that's the hope and the vision that Jesus shares with us. The reason my father loves me, he says, is that I lay down my life. Of course, they had no way of understanding this yet. But I imagine the apostles, as they're sitting around, kind of dumbstruck after what they see at the cross, trying to make sense of it all. And I just imagine all of these things that Jesus had said to them in their three years of ministry, just kind of rapid firing into their brain. And I imagine at the forefront has got to be this statement here. Oh, remember when he said he would lay down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. And the Jews who heard these words were again divided. And the reason John says again divided is because that's a word he's used repeatedly. Whenever Jesus is speaking in public and the crowds are trying to figure out what he says, this is the theme. They're divided over what to do with what he's saying. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. This guy is a lunatic. Why would we listen to him? But that's not everyone. Because the divided crowd says this, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we're right back to where John was leading us through in the previous chapter. What do we do with a man who, who isn't just profound in his teaching, but is doing things no one can explain? Remember what the, the man who had been healed said when they pressed him on the identity of Jesus. If he's not from God, he couldn't do anything. So again, we're back to the same place we always end up in these texts as we work through John. What are we going to do with the man Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? Just another in a long line of people trying to manipulate a crowd into following them. Or is he the shepherd? Is he the one we've been waiting for? the one whose voice we've been dying to hear. Who is he? I want to end today with a video. And um, worked hard this week to uh, try to find something that illustrates so clearly our need for a shepherd. And so just to set this video up, it's kind of hard to see here because of the orientation, but you've got a young man there who is helping a sheep. There's this crack in the dirt and the sheep has jumped headlong into this crack, only its rear feet are sticking out. It's got no way of saving itself, right? Which is exactly the situation we find ourselves in a lot in life. We have found the crack, we've jumped into the crack, and now we're just waiting for somebody to pull us out, right? And all of these people come along promising us that they are the ones that can save us. Listen to my voice, and I can help you out of the crack. So for all of you, 
stuck in the crack of life. <laughs> this is for you. Okay, can you cue the video? Okay, watch this boy help this sheep. I would play the sound, but it's really weird, so I'm not going to do that. Okay, so this young guy's got a hold of his, his back legs, all right? He's put a rope around them. He's gently going to remove the sheep from the crevice. It's touching that he cares enough to help him, right? And who doesn't love a sheep? Nobody wants the sheep see the sheep suffer, okay? All right, he saves it. Can you pause it there for me? All right. Hallelujah, I've been saved. I'm free from the crack. Except if it wasn't the true shepherd that pulled you out, what is your fate ultimately? Okay, play it again. This is what happens when you don't follow the voice of the shepherd. Okay, I'm free, and here I go. Boink! All right? You can stop it there. I don't, I don't know in words how to better illustrate how badly we as people need a shepherd. Because without a shepherd, what are we going to do? We're going to jump headlong back into the same problems we could never get ourselves out of to begin with. He has a pasture waiting for us with abundant life. If you want abundance in your life, you can find it only one place. Through the true sheep gate. Listen to the voice of the good shepherd. How can we help you do that this morning? Let's stand and let's sing this song. And now you see me through his perfection As if I'd never done any wrong Always forgiven, always accepted No fear of judgment before your throne shown me is grace, love, and mercy. Now and forever, I am your child. Freely you pour out your loving kindness. Father of grace, you welcome me in. All you have shown me grace, love, and mercy, now and forever, I am your child, freely you pour out your loving kindness, Father of grace, you welcome me in, Father of grace, you